I'm Jim Frawley, and this is Bellwether. Bellwether, I'm back. After a nice short break over the summer, episode 107, we're going to cover quiet quitting. The nice little buzz that's going around on quiet quitting, but then also, you know, there's another aspect called quiet firing, which kind of is like the tail end of this little comet that that flew across us in this lovely summer of 2022. I'm going to give you my thoughts because everyone's got an opinion on it. Everyone's an expert on it, just like every other buzzword. And when you don't have context, and you can tell how many people really either have drunk too much of the corporate Kool-Aid or have never worked in an office, <laughs> giving lots of advice on quiet quitting and quiet firing. Um, number one, I, w- I want to start with quiet quitting uh, because it's not new. And everyone's talking about Gen Z doing quiet quitting and it's a whole new thing. And um, it's not new. It's been around forever. I was doing it back when I was in corporate. Plenty of other people did it when they were in corporate. There's a whole movie on it from like 30 years ago called Office Space. If you haven't seen it, watch it. It's fantastic. Um, I forget the guy's name, but it's Jennifer Aniston. Everyone knows that. Uh, everyone knows her. Um, and it's a lot of, you know, the the famous line outside of, you know, give me back my stapler and I'll burn the place down. Was, uh, the guy basically looks at the consultants and says, look, I could push out 10 more TPS reports. Company makes a little more profit, but I don't see another dime. Where's my motivation? And it's true. It's the big kind of elephant in the room of, you know, the the line that comes from corporate that people are hip to is we're a family and let's do it for the company and we're good together and let's do more and we're going to go above and beyond and we like it. But nobody really gets rewarded for it. It's this kind of language that comes out, this speech that comes out to people to say we're going to do this and... Then when they say, well, can I get a bonus? We're like, ah, well, sorry, down economy. And sorry, we're laying off 30% of the workforce. And sorry, we're not doing this. And sorry, you're not getting a promotion. And sorry. And so people are just, you know, they're kind of fed up with it. And um, and that's just kind of why people just say, screw it. You know, you're paying me to do a job. I'll do the job. But don't yell at me to to do more than than what's expected. And it's an interesting it's an interesting argument. And I think it's a fair argument. Um, I remember applying for a job at a big bank. I got the job. Uh, and then they switched the job on me, but whatever. Uh, and I met someone who was going to be reporting to me. And she said, look, my only question for you is this. I don't want a promotion. I don't want to do anymore. I'm happy where I am. I want to spend time with my kids. I've got all this. And this was maybe, this was 10 years ago, at least 10 years ago, maybe 15 I'm happy. I don't want to go above and beyond. I don't want to work here till eight o'clock at night. I want, I'm happy. I'm going to do a good job in my role. Are you okay with that? And I said, absolutely. That's perfect. You know, we'll constantly talk about, you know, whatever it is that you want. And if you want, if that changes, we'll talk about it. We want to make sure that we're getting whatever you need. And I didn't just say that because I was interviewing. Um, and it was relieving to her, right? Because we constantly say, well, what are you doing? What are your goals this year? How are you going to improve? And we're force feeding this stuff down people's throat. You have to evolve and you have to get promotions. But look, when you go up a promotion thing, it's a pyramid. There's only so many roles and a lot of people aren't going to get it. 
And so why would they go above and beyond? They're being told what to do. They're doing work they don't want to do. And you expect them to spend extra hours at work to do stuff just to kind of move the needle along? Doesn't really add up. Um, it may not be a popular thing to say, but it's reality. And let's just cut the BS. It's reality. And, and you know, it's <laughs> oh, who's the shark? There's one of the guys from the Shark Tank. The bald guy. Um, he calls himself Mr. Lovely or Happy or whatever it is. Um, he, he had some video where it was like a diatribe about how quiet quitters, they're bad for culture and you're bad for the business and everything else. And um, I, you think they care, right? I mean, telling quiet quitters that they're bad for corporate culture is like telling hecklers it's bad for people trying to pay attention during a comedy show. Like they don't care. Uh, and you're yelling at the wrong people. And rather than yelling at people who are quiet quitting, which, by the way, isn't a bad thing. It's just a stupid conversation. Right. What is quiet quitting? They're doing what you pay them to do and then stopping. That's not a bad thing. Right. It's why do we expect people to do more than than what's expected for us? Right. That's bonus. That's extra. Um and, and the reality is nobody likes to be told what to do. That's why I left corporate, right? I did one of those little personality assessments. Because um, when you become a coach and you're, you've got, you need to have assessments in your arsenal. So you got to do what they, what you're making other people do. I got to put myself through it. And the guy's reviewing it and he says, wow, you're pretty hostile to authority. And I said, oh, okay, that's good to know, right? I wish I knew that at the beginning of corporate. <laughs> But people don't, nobody wants to be told what to do. Nobody wants to be given a project and say, you do this. Um, just nobody likes it. And I think there's, there's, there's philosophical phases of workers. Okay, because when, when I say you've got an employee, you've got a worker, you have something, you have an image in your mind of who that is and what you expect of them. And we never talk about what expectations are. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. How do you communicate expectations? But philosophically, I feel like there are different, there are different phases of workers. There's this old mentality, and it still trickles through, right? Pick yourself up by the bootstraps and work hard. And if you do hard, good, honest work, you'll get your raise and you'll get rewarded. Yada, 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 yada. And guess what? That's a load of bullshit. We know that's bunk. We, right? We know that. We know that trickle-down economics doesn't work. We know all of that stuff. Um, they get extra profit. And if it comes into my business, you know, I may hire people, but if I don't need to hire more people, I'm not going to like just give it out to people. That's my money, right? We made profit. That's Companies exist to create profit. That's okay. Um, but we know that, and everybody knows now, you know, doing hard work does not guarantee you anything. And people are realizing they have to take more control over that. And, that, and that's the, the quiet quitting aspect is, you know what, I'm going to do my limited time here, but I'm going to do something else on my own so I can make my ends meet. And I'm going to do what's best for me. And that's okay. Right? This whole fascinating... I, someone told me the other day, I'm trying to pay someone 20 bucks an hour and I can't find a single person to do it. And what I wanted to say to them, I should have, would you do it for 20 bucks an hour? And of course, the answer is going to be no, right? So you can't pay someone, you know, anyway, whatever. That's going into a, a different thing. But so look, you can work hard um, and you could be a hard worker. That's great. But if you're sitting there building uh, uh, or digging a tunnel 
right? Because working hard is different philosophically, right? There's there's different definitions of working hard. You can work lots of hours. You can do a very physical, hard physical work. The world has changed on what hard work really means. And you could work really hard digging a tunnel. But if the expectations are we need a bridge, then the fact that you worked really hard is fairly irrelevant because it's not what people need. And so you could work hard, but you're kind of shit out of luck. And so that's this this philosophical idea of hard work and everything that's out the window. It, it's not really relevant right now. And, and if you believe that, either at the top of the chain, looking to hire people, doesn't work that way. Okay. And people realize you have to change the way you're talking to your employees. If you're looking for it and you're stuck in this, I'm working hard. Guess what? Your promotion's not really coming. Maybe in a government job where they give promotions to people who have been there for 30 years, but you know what? That's why it's such a bureaucratic mess. Right, a bureaucratic mess that's, that's not going to get anything done because those people are just putting in time and it's not really evolving. Um, but then there's a second phase. There's another kind of group of people that would sit there. So I would say that's the old idea, uh, old idea of people working hard. Then there's another kind of group, which I'm going to call the group that needs a job. Right, and we're talking about this in the context of quiet quitting. Those people who need a job because I'm going to go broke if I don't have it. Or I don't want to go back to whatever I came from. Um, it's, it's very much an immigration mindset. And I think of, you know, the old Irish coming over, leaving poverty in the, the 1800s and, and the disaster that Britain had, had thrown on them in the, the famine and all of that stuff. We're leaving political turmoil. We see that with a lot of migrants now or the poverty that's in Central America. We see those people coming up now. Those people, I speak to people in HR. They say, I will hire those people 12 days out of the week because they will put in the extra time. Because they're setting up the next generation. They don't want to go back to what they had experienced. right? There is a fear and a need driving that. Now, to be fair, some of them get taken advantage of. A lot of them get taken advantage of. But there is something ingrained in them based on their experience that there is no quiet quitting. They will do everything to make sure that they drive this home. And that's fantastic. right? It's great. Not great what they came from and everything else, but it's true. And so they've experienced pain. They don't want to go back to that. Then you've got another group of people, which are a few generations after. And that's where most of America is. A few generations after. And I hear a lot of people telling me, well, my ancestors worked really hard to get um, our family set up today. And that's great. But what are you doing today to work hard? And this goes back to the working hard thing. Um, We think we work hard in many ways. And in a lot of ways, we don't. In a lot of ways, and this is just real talk, we have this inflated sense of, of what we can do. Um, as individuals and, and, and what we're entitled to and, and everything else. And the people screaming about entitlement are just as entitled as everybody else. Um, this is not a, a, a right side, left side or anything. Entitlement just kind of goes political, which I don't like to do. But um, the world has changed. Most of the U.S., um, the ancestors did the hard work for us and we're reaping the benefits. And if you're working with these people which is the majority of you, uh, you have to think about a different way to get them engaged at work. There's nothing wrong with it. Look, we're lucky to have ancestors who did it and we're sitting here and, and we're, we, we've got the benefits of it and it is what it is and we were born into it. And there's nothing, it's not a problem, right? It's not our fault. Um, but the majority of people who grew up in a successful America need a different way to be engaged. And the question is, how do you get them to care? How do you get them to want to do this type of work? And, and, and this isn't new. It's not a Gen Z challenge, right? This is, you know, 
partly Gen X challenge, a millenn- definitely a millennial challenge, partly, you know, everything from, you know, we had major growth in the 50s and it's been phenomenal. And after World War II, this country's been the greatest place on the planet and life has been relatively easy. We've had our problems, of course, um, different groups and everything else, of course. But as a general matter of fact, I don't think I'd want to be anywhere besides the U.S. over the last 50 years. And that's, you know, it's the way it is. So how do you get these people to be engaged and interested in in creating something? And, and the word there is create, okay? People who have grown up where they're not forced to do certain types of work need to co-create a solution for your organization. They need to have ownership of an idea or a project, not just be given a project and say you own it. They need to come up with the idea. And that's what gets people engaged and interested in doing work. When we think about entrepreneurs, what entrepreneurs really love, outside of not having a boss because we're hostile to authority, (laughs) um, what entrepreneurs really love is their ability to create and create an idea and see it come to fruition and, and Um, When we see entrepreneurs who hire staff who get to that point, oftentimes that philosophy doesn't make it to staff. And I work with a lot of small business owners uh, who are frustrated with what their staff does. They're frustrated with the quiet quitting. They're frustrated that the staff doesn't go above and beyond. They're frustrated with a lot of different things. And they're frustrated with not coming up with new ideas and doing all these other things that that, um, the entrepreneur just naturally does. And... The, the, the example I like to give them is the company failed tomorrow. What would you do? And the entrepreneur and the owner is generally like, I'd go start a new business. No question. No worry. Right? Like, whatever. I would just do it again. If you ask that same question to staff, their first answer or their, their, their worry would be, well, I'd have to find a job. I don't know where I'd look. I'd have to go, you know, do all of these types of things. So one, the entrepreneur makes the rules for themselves and will create something for themselves. Staff needs to find someone who can help them create, you know, whatever, or give them something to do. Both are okay. Not everyone can be just be like this big, you know, entrepreneur creator. Um, But what we want to do is how do we teach people within our organizations to almost be entrepreneurs in residence? And that is a very difficult, you know, you could be an entrepreneur within the confines of an organization. And I talked about this a few um, episodes back on if I would go back to corporate. And I could, I could go back to corporate. Now that I know all that I've done, starting a business, launching a business, doing all this, how do I almost become an entrepreneur within the confines of an organization? And that is your answer, if you're looking for one, to quiet quitting, is how do we get people to almost become, learn to become an entrepreneur? in residence, right? You're giving up your time for something. For entrepreneurs, it might make sense to give up your time a little bit and some of your freedom so that you get the flexibility of an office and you you get all of these things that you had to pay for before, the equipment and the printing and the people and the staff and all that other stuff. You can accomplish more with other people. So it's not, it's almost like you're creating your world. You can do it within the confines of an organization or you can do it outside and, and create your own business. Once people are creating something, once they have ownership of it, that's going to be a very different conversation in terms of how am I being successful? And you know whether or not you're being successful. And that's that's kind of an answer to, to quiet quitting is how are we communicating these expectations to our people? But one more thing on this, because I also want to talk about quiet firing, which is 
the organization that basically goes silent on an individual. We've given up on you. We're just going to make this place miserable until you go away. And that's a real thing as well. Nobody's talking about that as much. We love to talk about the worker and we love to complain about the worker. Um, but look, I used to be a worker and I hated it. It sucked. Let's be honest, right? And, and um, it's such an arrogant thing. I'm giving you money. You do what I tell you to do. And that's, that's not how it works. The, we have an obligation running an organization as well um, to not do this quiet firing nonsense. Um, cause I would never tell someone not to quiet quit, right? My philosophy, I quiet quit. I did it and I do it again. Um, but when we talk about quiet quitting philosophically, let's just talk about it in theory. You're getting paid to do a job. I don't care how many, and this is how I think about work. I don't care how many hours it takes. If I'm paying you too much to get this one task done, that's my problem. It's my job to give you the right amount of tasks for the amount of money I'm given. I don't care when you do it, right? And this is, you know, I'm nimble, I'm small and whatever. It's a little more difficult in a scaled bureaucratic organization. I get that. But we need to rethink the way we're thinking about employees. And that's kind of the big kind of quiet quitting thing. When they're not meeting expectations and we just want them to go away, organizations do something called quiet firing where they just make the place miserable until they actually go away. Um, This is where Mr. Happy wonderful pants, whatever, from Shark Tank. This is where it's very damaging to culture. And it's more on the organization than on the quiet quitter individual. Um, So I'll flip that on its head. It's up to the company here Um, because it goes both ways. This is where an organization, you know, I would say an organization is terrible. It becomes a virus in the office because what people see is not a miserable employee. They see what behavior is being tolerated and the way that a person's being disrespected. And that becomes massively unproductive and becomes a virus in the organization. People see way more than we give them credit for. And when we see certain behaviors tolerated, why would I go above and beyond? Why would I go do more? Of course, I'm going to quiet quit because I see what other people are doing and and other people aren't being rewarded and everything else. Um, There was a study a long time ago I got to find it. I keep talking about it. I will find it. Um, where they surveyed people who were fired from an organization and surveyed people who weren't fired. The people who were fired were treated with the utmost respect. Upfront communication, handheld through the entire thing, um, did what they could to get them new jobs, treated them as human beings and everything else. Those people who were fired gave extremely high marks on their respect for the company and what they thought about the company and would they ever go back and would they do more for that company. The people who stayed and saw those people who got fired and were not treated with respect gave like negative scores. I don't respect the organization. And those people are still working there. And that's the problem is how are we treating our people with respect? And this is a difficult challenge for organizations, especially as you get larger, because there are a lot of breakpoints, a lot of ropes that can break. A lot of chains that can break in terms of are we respecting our people? And it does have to go both ways. You can't tell employees to treat your organization like a family, but then not treat them like a family member right back. And there is this theory. We have theory versus reality. And I talk a lot about this when I'm I'm, I'm on my little speaking circuits. Um, There is a theory of what we expect and what we want. And there's the reality of having the conversation. And... One of the big skill sets we need right now is how to have difficult expectation conversations. One at the forefront. This is what I expect from you. 
Do you understand and spit back what my expectations of you are going to be and how you're going to execute? It's a dialogue. When someone's not meeting your expectations, how do we articulate those details and how do we do that? If a person has to tell you, you know, when we're clear on our intentions, when we're clear on, you know, what we want people to do, people will know when they're hitting it and people will very much know when they're not. And if there is any ambiguity in the conversation between someone's ex- meeting our expectations or not, um, that's on you as the person in, in a position of authority and management. Nothing is worse than telling someone when you didn't hit their expectations. But if someone doesn't know that they're not hitting your expectations, that's on you. We can't blame them for innocent ignorance. And when you have that conversation of you're not meeting my expectations, that person's going to know if you set it up properly. I know this is what I was supposed to do. It's just much easier to rip the Band-Aid. Okay, there's no big surprise. There's no difficult conversation. There's no big blow up. And it shows everyone else that you mean business in a really productive and, and effective way. And this is what I expected from you. You didn't hit it. You get it. I get it. Maybe we just go our separate ways. That's it's a logical kind of it happens, Right. And it's very important going forward as you talk about your people and as you talk about your planning and your annual planning and everything else. How do you communicate your expectations of other people? And this is beyond just the workplace. This is at home. This is your community and everything else. And so quiet quitting, quiet firing, not new. But I would say the onus is on the organization to kind of fix it. We can't blame a person for being lazy because that's not what they're actually doing. They're just doing what you paid them to do. And if you're not setting your expectations well enough, sorry, man, it's on you. Um, Which kind of sucks, right? And and you could go looking for another one who's going to go above and beyond. And that's why we get this cycle of you go in and you're raging to do good work and you get about two quarters in and you're doing great. And then all of a sudden you burn out and you say, this kind of sucks. This is just like the last place. And after a year, year and a half, you're going to start looking around and saying, what else do I do? Um, We haven't set these people up for success, and that's what we have to do from an organizational perspective. So good luck with it. A little theory, a little reality, but I hope this was helpful as you think about your quiet quitting situations and your quiet firing and the way that we're treating about people. It's about respect. It's about expectations, and that's just my opinion. I hope you like it. Have a wonderful week. I'll talk to you next week. Next week, we're talking about politics of the C-suite. It's going to be interesting. Should CEOs get political? Oh, it's... I've got opinions. It's going to be good. I'll see you next week. Thank you, everyone. Talk to you soon. Thank you so much for listening. Now, do something for yourself. Bellwether is much more than just a podcast. Join us at bellwetherhub.com, where you can read riveting articles, view upcoming events, and connect with other interesting people. I look forward to seeing you out there soon. Bellwether.